week's episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Dominic Joyce, Global Talent Acquisition Manager at Klarna. He's a CV and LinkedIn profile writer, a career coach, and he's collaborated with over 500 clients to help them build a market-leading, industry-specific CV that stands out from the crowd. Dominic Joyce, at last, you're on my show. Absolutely thrilled to have you on. We've been buddies on LinkedIn for quite a short period of time, you know, but we've shared lots of insight. We've commented on each other's posts. We've chatted off offline, and uh, I just love what you're doing. I really, really uh, value what you're contributing to the ecosystem. I really want to get to know you. You've, you've seen these podcasts, the Purpose Led Leadership podcast. I'd love to sort of go deep with my guests and talk about not just their work life, which is important, but also, you know, their personal life, any sort of trauma, adversity, just to get to know you as a, as a, as a human being. So lovely to have you on. Um, if you wouldn't mind sort of going back really as, as, as far back as you'd like to go to school uh, or even before and just talk to, to talk to us about your journey. Awesome. Yeah. And thank you for, uh, for having me. Uh, watch all your shows, big fan. Um, so <laughs> Delighted to obviously be invited on it as well, finally. Um, yeah, I guess earliest memory of childhood really was, you know, senior school, high school. Um, I was academic, quite smart. I didn't look it, but um, I, because of, I was always quite a big teenager, but I was called Lofty. That was my nickname at school because right. I was a, like I was put in the year above rugby teams because I was just, um, and then for some reason at 15, just stopped growing. So it hit five, 10 at 15, and then just someone hit pause on the um, on the growth hormones. So, but um, no, I, I was very academic at school, um, but also they, they, they said that I had anger problems, which I think just came from being misunderstood. I think the problem with school is that they put you in these classes for anger management, which in a way, makes you feel more angry because it's you almost mm. like a problem or you've got this this disease right. or this issue and mm. you're sat there. And generally as well, I'm sat there with people without being rude that are like bottom sets of their classes. So obviously they're disruptive, they're, they're aggressive. Mm. I'm sat there like, why am I here? Because because I talk back to my teachers because I, I, I'm blunt and call it how I see it, which is kind of, I guess, transcended into my working life and just the person I am now, but yeah, I hate school. School literally was a sort of thing where like SAS, get in, get out and no one gets hurt. That was kind of my angle. And yeah, I kind of fluttered through it and just, uh, yeah, had, it was a lot as well. It was just pressure. I think you don't realize now the amount of pressure you actually have Mm. in senior school, like to make the right choices. And it sounds really silly that, you leave school at three o'clock, you go home and your, your day is yours, but it's choices around who your friends are. It's choices yeah. around that choice you make about after you leave school. Do you go to college? Do you go to the workforce? Do you stay on a sixth form? And there's a lot of pressure as well, right, for me to decide what I want to do because of like my, never knew my dad growing up. He was, uh, my dad, long story short, was a, was a copper who used to basically pay visits to um, his female witnesses right got you make of that make of that what you will in fact from his um his swordsmanship i've actually got a half sister in newcastle who's about 18 months younger than me called rebecca right. who right. i've met um, our parents used to sort of write to each other lost contact now so um yeah <laughs> wanting to be a cop and not for that reason to start going and you know 
and pain, but it's the female victims and witnesses, but just to kind of do good in the world. Mm. That was often my goal. But even as a kid, you cycle through so many career paths. At one point, I loved Lego. Mum was like, why don't you go and be an architect on? Spent a week at an architect's firm in Clarendon. I was wearing my granddad's suit. Looked like Benjamin Button. I just shrunk into it. And um, that was just, that looked like hell was a guy there that had been there for like, his course was, I think, seven years to start with 40 grand. I was like, he looked like shit. I was like, yeah, that's not, that's not what I do. I don't want to be, I don't want to be happy. I want to be happy in what I do. And the amount of pressure that he was going through mm-hmm. and all through school, I was like, I don't know what I want to do. And I almost felt like, because I didn't know what I wanted to do, I was a failure. Or, and you know, I know now that school is getting more money for kind of shoehorning you back into education in mm-hmm. sixth form. Mm-hmm. I spent three months there, hated it. Did Spanish, economics, psychology, and history. And I found myself, this is kind of after I got past the whole anger phase and was doing really well, but in the three periods, I sat there, people I didn't really like, and I was like, why am I wasting time doing courses that I yeah. literally don't, you know, looking back now, Spanish would have come in handy a lot in my adult life. Right. Psychology and um, economics, potentially. But I remember, like, being sat on the top of the stairs, miserable, and it's only now when you look back as a kid, you realise how miserable you really were, and yeah. how... All, Aside from the whole things of playing with your mates and going out and, and seeing girls, like actually how lost I was about what I wanted out of life. And it sounds bad, but then mm. looking back, I'm thinking, I'm 16, 17. Why should I have to worry about what I want now at this age? Yeah. I'd say to myself now, if I go back, you're 16, 17, go out and have fun, make mistakes, explore and just, you know, find what your, what your bag is. But I remember being sat at the top of the stairs and my mum mom died when I was 19, but... I remember this is stuck with me like 15 years, like 19 years later. Yeah. I said to him, I don't like it. I don't like school. It's not me. Yeah. And I play this over my head a lot. And I remember her being sat at the bottom of the stairs saying, Dom, you don't like it. Don't do it. You know, my nan made my mum go to secretarial college. Mm. to be a hairdresser. They're the two most diverse yeah, yeah. jobs you ever have. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and she regretted and resented my nan for that because she was made to go and do a career she didn't want to do. So then the fact that my mum was, you know, was an alcoholic as well. She drank wow. a lot. Wow. Okay. Um, so it was weird as a kid growing up. Like, you, again, you realise now looking back and, and reviewing what happened, how, and it was tough. You had two, two teenage boys who aren't, we're not yeah. getting like, brought home by the police every night, but equally as well, we're not A-star students that are, you know, that are doing our Bible Bible sessions at night. So, <laughs> um, so she, you know, she was tough, and you know, realise now that like she got into a lot of debt trying to keep two teenage boys in clean clothes, and for that she's a saint. You know, she would always go and buy clothes in charity shops, and yeah. But part of her downfall was alcohol, and she'd smoke forty a day, and she would she would literally just. She would do it with a bottle of vodka you get from the shops, like not a little hand, but a bottle of vodka yeah. per wow. The thing is, of course, though, that it didn't affect her. That's you or me. You know, we're stumbling down the cobbles. We're literally being carried out of a nightclub. Yeah. It almost kept her level. And that wow. was like her. But then she used to drive us to school. 
pick us up from school, go to sort of a, a cleaning a, a, function, a, a proper functioning alcoholic, as they say. Yeah, yeah, she wasn't, she was motivated, but it was yeah. almost like the alcohol was almost like the fuel in her car to yeah. keep her going. And wow. of course, that cost money. Um, so of course, the, you had debts, you had people coming up to your to your front door, knock on the door, complain about owing money to X, Y, and Z. Of course, at 16, 17, you're like, what, what is this? Like, and, you know, we had, I think we had insurance policies as kids, me and my brother, to kind of cash in. We got to 18 to kind of think, what do you want to do? Buy a car? Yeah. Then we cash, then we cash in to pay off our debts. So she came into, after leaving school, um, yeah. and going into the real world with no, with no money and no clue. Um, yeah. Almost like being born again, isn't it? You're born, you come yeah. to the world of you know, screaming, kicking. I actually left school the same. There's, there's absolutely loads there. I want to interject before we do the other remaining half of your life. I mean, wow. I mean, that was a very, very powerful um, anecdote of, of a lot of trauma. I mean, being called lofty at a young age and doing those anger management classes. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of stuff that resonates with me around. I hated school. I went to a grammar school in the last week. I didn't com- last year. I didn't complete a full week. I always had at least one day off. I always skived or I'd forge my dad's notes. And all this. I just, I just didn't, the whole concept of that structure. I just, I just, I just felt very suppressed by it. And, um, I think you're right. I, th- I think on that point, I think the whole school system itself, I mean, things like Bunsen burners and longshore drift, I mean, algebra, I mean, what, what the fuck? I mean, uh, what they should be teaching is, is compassion, mental health, all that kind of stuff. You, so you had, you had that, you had that, all those problems, but the whole anger management thing you said about making you worse. I mean, what, what, just on that point, what, what, what was the classes? What did they do? How, what, what did it help in any way? Or it was almost, it was almost like Americanized kumbaya talking about our feelings, which yeah. someone that's angry is misunderstood. They're not retarded, no. but I'm not, I'm not stupid and sitting there making me have words and matching words to feelings did not help. Um, no one sat down and said one to one, and also put me in a group environment. Yeah. If you if you put a bunch of obviously like aggressives in the in a room, it's gonna you know. And there's times when literally chairs got thrown and people walked out, and I thought, surely that's not the best use of people's time. No. To put people, like it's not like an AA where people talk about their feelings and the, the mentality is a different state, isn't it? Um, at that young age, to, it almost kind of almost singles you out and makes you feel even more alienated and inferior and different and anxious about who you are as an individual at that age. And it, for me, it's, I just think it's, it, it leaves a lot to be desired, doesn't it? Also, you get out of the class, like it's a case of, oh, where are you going, Dom? Oh, anger management classes. It was, it was always during a class. So, of course, it's almost like, yeah. look, look at Dom, he's got an issue. And it's like, well, mm-hmm. the issue's not not an issue it's more just something that hasn't been addressed or handled in the right way so to cope to cope with that and your obviously your physical presence you're you know as you, as you might agree you're you're a big man and you obviously you're a big a big um child but to deal with that and then obviously your parents being very kind of unnurturing let's, let's put it that way if i may say so um you know your dad you know and, and your mum you wouldn't class them as good role models but and then you know to do the, the work that you're doing now, as in the service that you're providing people to help them find jobs and you know, all that stuff that you're doing, it's, 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 a, it's almost like you went through all that stuff and now you've found your kind of calling to what you're doing now. But before we go into that, I want, I want to talk, you to talk about mental health and well-being. I, I feel that you, you must have had a lot of emotional trauma from a very young age. 
did you recognize any of the, the emotions and feelings and just talk us through how all that stuff may made you feel really yeah I think my yeah mum wasn't a saint she did the best that she could with two teenage boys but we had times when she literally just had enough and there's times that we'd come home and she would leave a note saying I've gone take care of yourself sort of thing right. which was just her way of pushing for a reaction but equally as well as teenage boys you're kind of thinking well at first you're thinking oh, mum's left us like walked out mm. sort of, like punch a ticket my time's done and of course the older you get you just know it's her pushing for a reaction but um, yeah like obviously I was never in dirty clothes I was never not fed so I wasn't to the point obviously on poverty but I just think you know she made sure we had clean clothes we had food in our tummies and never went without as such but yeah I think just sorry to interject there. When you say pushing for a reaction, what do you mean that you feel that she was pushing for a reaction from you to sort of demonstrate that you loved her or you wanted her? Was she was it was it a, a needy thing from her? Or? <laughs> I just think it was just her way of kind of just having attention. I don't know if it's from me or my brother or more from my grandparents who literally were. I think part of it as well is they were disappointed in her as the she. Had a, a few husbands, a few marriages that didn't work out, and you know, right. I think part of it was their disappointment that she didn't make anything of herself because my grandparents aren't well off. You know, yeah. my granddad's from Newcastle, was in the Marines, my nan's from South Sea and worked in the biscuit factory. Do you know what I mean? They're not from, you know, they're not, not the bouquets, yeah. but I just think they wanted something better. I just, I just think. And I've, I've said this before. I mean, my, my mum abandoned me when I was two. So, but I, I, you can't miss something you never had. But your parents were there, but they just they actually weren't there physically and emotionally. So, I want to go a bit deeper about sort of interjecting. I know that she obviously she passed away when you were nineteen. I think you said as well, which we need to delve into. But um, this is big stuff. This, 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 this stuff can and, it, and uh, the way you're talking, it's still there's still a lot of trauma and pain in there. I, 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 how do you feel it's played out with your? your own relationship, your own kind of relationship with women or, or, or parenting, your parent as well. Just just talk about that because, you know, you, you, it's almost like you've probably had, you've had to, you've had to learn everything yourself. You weren't really taught how to, how to live your life properly. Don't you? No, my mum dropped a few pearls of wisdom now and again. <laughs> you know, I was being brilliant at school. Her words were smacking back. I'll come and deal with it, which isn't always the right thing you know. Was that how brilliant, but equally as well, smack another kid is kind of your last resort. So I think, yeah, having a parent, not having obviously two parents and having one parent that was, you know, as we said, it was difficult. So, of course, like yourself, there, I always knew I follow you on Instagram as well, mate. You're always with the kids, you're an excellent yeah. dad, I can say so. Thank you. I think not having the best, the best childhood has helped me be a better dad because. Mm. Like the actual thought of walking away from my daughter yeah. kills me, absolutely kills me. Yeah. And I, would, I never would do that, no matter how hard times got. If I had not a penny to my name, if I had no job, nothing, mm. walk away. But and you always then wonder, like, why? And you always look at it, and of course, you're a child, you have no real impact, you're just there, you're, you're a person. Yeah. It's like, was it me that made them run away? And you sort of doubt yourself. And there's times now where I think to myself, you know, will my daughter end up like yeah. me? Well, no, there's always been one parent there at the very least that will care and will guide her. But I think with women as well, obviously my mum was mum and dad. 
So and it was a case of, I think, naturally, a, a man looks for, I say, part of their mum in their wife or their partner. Yeah. Uh, I think characteristics, behaviours. So I think it was always tough when I was around women and having that. Again, well, I'm not an emotional person. Like, I'm, the, I'm the least emotional person you've ever meet, Chris. Like, if someone's crying around me, I will give them that sympathetic pat on their shoulder and say, they're there. I'm not an embracer. I'm not. Or I walk away. I just can't deal with people that cry around me. And that sounds really harsh. But I had a lot of that as a kid. I had tears, tantrums, plates thrown in the household. I just think that I, I had all of that from a young age of just a lot of not aggression, not towards myself, but just an angry, volatile household that I just think I've explored all that now and I just don't have an aggressive mental body. I'm a big chap, but I'm not yeah. aggressive as a scientist. And because of, with regards to women, I just, I, I find it hard to form relationships and bonds. But because well, I think a lot of it as well is always that, that fear of, is it right? Am I happy? Am I going to be happy? Is it going to end in tears? And there's always that. Yeah. I can't describe it. It's almost a weird one where I, yeah, it's just, it's hard to, because a lot of women want you to be emotional. They want you to express yeah. Yeah, yeah. who you are, what you're feeling. And mm-hmm. I don't talk, I don't talk, I don't talk about, you know, how's your day? Yeah, it was fine. And that's not because I'm trapping it inside because I'm not, part of it feels that I'm not you know, trapped or struggling inside. I just don't mm. feel the need to kind of then disperse or share emotion. But my daughter's different. I'm a different person. But I just feel that around women, friends, colleagues, I'm just not that emotional person. I'm just always a dumb that's like, engaging, happy-go-lucky. Yeah. I, just, I guess it's a, 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 a mask that I wear. Well, that's very... Um, honest and humble the humility you're showing there and the awareness to, to admit that on a sort of podcast like this and I think I was going to say there's two schools of thought with this isn't there usually there's the, the people who feel that um, you know going over old ground and processing the past and talking about and therapy is, is the way to go because you, you need to sort of go backwards and dissect it and then be able to go forward and other people that feel that actually like going back is just then you be, just become a story all the time I'm always in the former where I feel that I've personally been through very similar trauma to you and it was only up until sort of three or four years ago where I started to really properly talk about it and talk about it and talk about it and talk about it on public, you know, forums such as this. And, um, and now I feel that state now where I, I put it into a container I can move on. But my coach is now telling me actually, a new coach of course, where I was going back into the container and still breaking it. So it's different but it, for, for different people. But I, I just feel men in general don't, don't like doing it. And it, you know, you're, not, you're not unique in that way, but... I'm not here to give you advice, but it, it feels and it senses it the senses that you are wearing a mask, you know, and I've been guilty of that as well. And I feel that have you have you had um, sort of any sort of um, counselling or therapy or anything like that with this or not? I haven't, and part of me just kind of feels that I've you know it sounds weird, but this is going to sound really controversial. But 19 years old. I, I, mum passed away, I'm 34 now. I probably still haven't grieved my mum passing. And that sounds really, really harsh, but um, it's, it's literally days where it goes by when I forget I forget her birthday one year, mm. or I like, completely forget the day she passed away. Yeah, yeah, it's been 15, 14 years now. But again, that's just, I almost just compartmentalise it, and it's almost like 
I'll put it in a box where and yeah. put it in the throwaway key. Right. I don't touch that because I always fear that there's this fear that if I open it, it may actually benefit me. Right. As well, if I open it, fear that it may be counterintuitive and it may actually affect me more or worse. So I, you know, yeah. I'm lucky to have my career and I think that the trauma I had has had some kind of impact to where I am now and what I've done, what I've achieved. Yeah. And I just think to myself, do I use the, the, the hard times as a motivator if by an open Pandora's box again, am I then going to perhaps, I know something that I don't want to see or don't want to remember yeah. or don't experience. I know there's arguments for and against it. But uh, I think... I'm the sort of person where I get why there's counselling involved and I get why they have those powers and skills to help with it. I I think you've got to a point where it really affects your mental health. I would look into it, but I don't think I'm at that sort of phase right now. But I, I appreciate the value of it and what it can bring. Yeah, I mean, it's not again, it's not for me to say that. And I think, um, you know, I, I had loads of that stuff. And I, to be honest, for five, six years, I wasn't ready. I was giving it all lip service. And it, I think you, you do when you're ready. But I also think that because of what's happened to you, I mean, 15 years ago is a long time, also a short time. It's, it's shorter than the amount of time that she was alive for you. So it's, it's, it's still quite recent. And I feel what, ha- what tends to happen in these cycles is that we revert to our emotional home. So in a, even if our emotional home is trauma, pain, adversity, shame, guilt, all that kind of stuff, unless we break that cycle, even when we find something good or find something, we, all, we, we kind of we find comfort and solace and um, normalcy in those feelings. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? And I, th- I, and I feel that well, that's something that I've learned around. It's kind of trying try to change that pattern, reprogramming my, my mind and my body to go actually... I don't need to keep looking for that because it's because it's a comfort blanket. Even though it's a horrible feeling, it's like, almost like a comfort blanket. And I and I feel, um, I don't know if that makes sense or not. I feel that's probably um, something that can evolve uh, from even more, maybe yourself as well. Yeah, yeah. I think as well. When I passed away, I literally was, you know, moved back home, and then just as you went into, I guess. I don't know. I was on the phone to debt companies, paying up, getting her debt settled and squared, and just recover my brother's care because he was still seventeen at the time. So I became living, living by myself in my little flat. So then going back home and being my brother's guardian for, will be only six months, but still was responsible for my brother who took care of us tonight. But I think I've always had when something's happened that's been traumatic. I've always then just kind of then thought, well, a busy mind mm-hmm. is a mind will basically just. And yeah, you know, everyone she was she was passing away. My boss told me, "Go and take all the time you need to. Don't want to see you here." I was back at work about a week later. When you, and as a nineteen-year-old, his mum passes away, which is obviously very, very very quick, isn't it? It's but I wanted that, you know. I guess that just back to normality. I wanted that consistency. And I think yeah. even now, looking back at my my present life, I can tell you the last time that I took off a weekend where I had no recruitment in information or no CV upgrade work on. Yeah. And part of me doesn't want to kind of go and to have that weekend, that week to myself somewhere, but I can just have nothing. And then it might all come out because I then once push the stop button on work my life and just thought, right, I'm now here. I have nothing stopping me from kind of expressing the person that I am or unearthing those feelings. But 
don't know, from 16 I've worked, I've never stopped working in 19 years and I've had two jobs. That's kind of how I handle my emotions, is just I throw myself into work. It feels, the sense I'm getting is that you've got a sense of a burden around, I mean, your mother dying at any age is, is horrific, but at 19 where you're just kind of forming yourself into a man and all that kind of, I mean, it's the timing of that is no great timing, but it's just, but um, I feel that, um, uh, I, 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 and I did this when, you know, I almost felt like it was my fault. And I, I got a sense of that with you around. That's part of the reason why you don't want to go there. But I feel that, um, You've obviously got a big heart. You've obviously got an enormous amount of ability and skill. And I feel that um, you're still young, 34. So, um, yeah, I think I think it's, it's sometimes it's, it's leaning into this stuff. And a lot of people do it. Like they use work as a crutch in a way to kind of block it out. But I found, it's only speaking from my personal experience, I did that. You know, I built a massive company and it was a driver for me. But I was doing, I was doing it almost to prove... So my, 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 my absent mother and parents that I was a human being, a normal human being, and I was doing it for the wrong reasons. Now, my purpose, my purpose is to, is to serve and have a legacy and all this kind of stuff. And I want to talk to you about, you to talk to you about your purpose as well, because um, if you'd like to carry on from talking to your mum passing away to now, and then we'll talk about why you are doing what you're doing as well. That's okay. Yeah, sure. So, sorry, just wet, wet the whistle. Mm. Me too. <laughs> so, yeah, obviously, when your mum dies at 19, and you have no parental figure, you've got to go and figure shit out yourself. There's no parent to kind of say, well, that's a bit of a risky choice there, or I would try that instead. So you go into the world at 19, not knowing what you want to do, where you want to go, but equally as well, no one to give you advice about what might work, or, or people that know you saying, try this yeah. or do that. So, typical sort of fashion when you leave school, you work in retail for a little bit, then worked in phone sales at Phones for You. When it was the Wild Wild West, you could earn good money yeah. um, without having to have a customer service. It was just basically pure, you know. And at 18, 19, I was, you know, I was clearing two and a half K across tax. Nice. It wasn't bad. Yeah, it was good money. But for a 19-year-old, it had no yeah. degree of qualifications. Um, but I kind of moved around, and I think part of it is always I've, I've in my career, made bad choices of jumping I should have stuck mm-hmm. it out. I mean, people that sit in companies and stack and go stay in a stagnant and then I have problems in, in a lot of jobs where I think to myself, I should have stuck it out for longer because I made the wrong move. Not every mm-hmm. company, so I look back and go, thank fuck I got out of there because that is toxic and that environment is not for me. Yeah. But companies where, I think again, it's like, I, I kind of this sort of, like my mentality is getting bored and wanting more and demanding more and sometimes it's perhaps I'm too pushy to get what I want ASAP, but I went through, of course, phone sales, account management. I didn't have a stint working coach hire. Like, it was just you know, a whole kind of, yeah. I, I, call it the, I call it the job buffet. You go through <laughs> and you yes. sample different careers that you think, yeah, and yeah. what I learned along the way was take elements of what I liked about that job, whether it's the people side of it, the consultancy side or the sales side of it, mm. and leave behind jobs that I didn't like, like cold calling or... And that's kind of where I got to recruitment because yeah. um, yes, we rewind a little bit. When I was 19, I moved to London. I literally had a council house that I then exchanged with somebody else in Elephant Castle, right. which at the time was a bit of a war zone, but at 19, that's my biggest square. It's honestly, it sounds really harsh because, of course, 
at 90 I couldn't save my mum I didn't get what, what she was doing and the alcohol yeah. but was was exchanging accounts at Housewife in London and then giving it up completely because of course I could have had a lovely little two-bed house in Twyford worth about 300 on grand now because that's right. it's, a, it's a stupid forest area but I just basically again didn't stick it out jumped the gun yeah I'll go to London, opportunity there, friends will come and see me. No one did. I worked in gym right. sales, again, different companies floated around. It was just kind of like a nomad in jobs, but just didn't really find my feet. Yeah. I then became, became depressed. Like probably, I remember having absolutely no cash near Christmas time. I remember getting a suitcase and dragging my Xbox, all the games, all the 100 plus DVDs that I owned yeah. to Blockbuster and trading it all in just to have food. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And that's because I just, I walked out of a job. So this is kind of, again, perhaps this is why I've gone into what I do now because I walked out of a job yeah. that mentally was killing me yeah. because I'd done gym sales. I was good at what I did. I went to a new company who made me treat me like, like a newbie, called these leads. Everyone was dead. Everyone was dead. He passed away. I was like, you know that I was smashing it in David Lloyd. Why are you now making me the newbie that you won't let me talk? Yeah, right. And Kind of, I was like, this isn't me. Like, I feel like earning the chance to kind of run with you all on the big dogs and work the, the same, you know. And um, yeah, I walked out. I was like, not for me. And of course, being naive, thinking that I'll get a job in London. A month passed. Two months passed. Yeah. You didn't find yourself, obviously, from not quite having quail and caviar, but you didn't find yourself, obviously, having bread and jam. And yeah. I finally got another job. I remember, like, it was days before payday. I literally was having just rice, cooked rice. And they got some like reduced tomatoes and veg fried pittens. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of again where that was what bothered me was mm. having to go and sell. And it was a cold, wet night, dragging two like, like holders of DVDs yeah. and about two miles to Blockbuster to go and trade it in to have cash. It's amazing how when you're in that situation, it feels awful, but then I've been in that situation quite a few times where I think I, I had my first car as a Fiesta and it all got fucked up and I had, to, I had to sell it for like I got 25 quid for it I paid like a grand for it for whatever. it's like what you know I needed that money just to like literally survive but in a way having a broken heart being trampled on by your parents you know having no money at all it's awful it's terrible but also um, that kind of trauma it, it can yield a different perspective around gratitude and you know, all that kind of, this vulnerability stuff, it can, used in the right way, I'm not, I'm not advocating that, you know, it's something that we should all try and achieve, but I feel, the, I get the sense of you that it has grounded you and it has made you the man you are today. I mean, what would you say to that? 100%. Like, to me, thinking about, I love to earn money. Like, money, the same goes, people say money's not everything. I've never seen somebody cry on Lamborghini, so I, I would argue that case. Is how you is how you use that money. Yeah. So, so to me, the definition of being rich is taking my daughters to soft play, not having to worry about buying ice cream or going for Nando's and thinking about can I afford this? Yeah, yeah. It's not going out and buying a new car or buying a new pair of two hundred pound trainers. To me, that's not the idea of being rich. Yeah. Which is knowing I have money to go and do the little things that I want to do in everyday life. But I don't have to look at the bank account going, can I afford that? Yes. Because the pair of dying at 19, I missed out on all the lads' hobbies, had their money, all the, all the maggots, all the cabos and zanties, couldn't do it because mm. of course, had no money. So to me now, 
working two jobs and, and building this this business, it's great to earn money and it feels great to kind of then of course earn and get paid for what you become good at and the advice that you give. Yeah. But in doing so, that money's going towards my daughter having things like Disney World, a savings account where she knows at eighteen, Daddy won't touch it. That's yeah. It's difficult because again, there's so much that I resonate with. You know, I was born in a caravan, charity shops as you as you had, uh, free school dinners. You know, stuck out like a sore thumb. It's called Pikey, all that shit. Um, council house, council flat, um, all that. You know, no money whatsoever. And then somehow, you know, did really well for myself. Uh, came a millionaire, lost it all. And then I kind of went from this kind of ruthless, money-focused animal where you know I was earning five hundred grand a year and whatever, buy what the hell I wanted. So then going through all the stuff I went through and then being so kind of almost, almost anti-money, almost kind of like money is evil, all that kind of stuff. And I now realise that's, that's too much the other way. And I'm moving the dial back now where I've got, it's, it's my relationship with money. What I mean by that is that it's, it's I think it's, the, I mean, you need to have a respect for money. And it's, it's, so I get what you're saying. And I, I feel it's about finding that balance between you need, to, you, need to, you need to enjoy having the money as well. And, but it's one of them where you've got to appreciate it. I, I, for me, I feel it's almost like the problem I had is that every time I got it, I, 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 felt, I felt as if I had to spend it. It was just this weird thing. And I feel that money, money is, uh, is really important, but, but your relationship to it is really important as well. And I think, I think too many people deem success on how much money you've got in the bank, which is just, which is just wrong in my opinion. Yeah. In your bank, every miserable work all the hours and they're trying to spend it. It's about balance. And have I got that balance right now? No, they haven't. Um, I'm, because of where I'm now working, I really enjoy it. But I think part of, I'm very lucky, the success that I have from LinkedIn and brand promotion and CVs, yeah. I started writing CVs back in 2018 before COVID. So of course, I wasn't branded an ambulance chaser, trying to pop it from people that had, you know, and that's what was, you know, I saw recruiters doing it, like, yeah, like, and some of the worst things that I've written have been for recruiters, so, yeah. you know, we call them people now, but it's true, so, it's true, I think, yeah, I still feel like, I charge obviously a lot more money now, I charge £20 for a ceiling cup letter when I first started out, because no one knew who I was, and now I charge 400 Right, it's, in my reading testimonials, a part of feels that's still, you know, identified as to why I charge that much, but I still, in the back of the kind of gets like that little doubt as to why is it that much, but it's then, yeah. but it's like the devil angels, like, yeah. why are you charging that for? But no, but you, you've done fraudulent CVs, you can charge that now. Yeah. So it's that whole, and it's something yeah. that you could get to the salary, you're kind of thinking, well, you're offering you this, but you can, but no, but I'm worth that. So it's, you have that mental battle in your head as to what you feel your time is worth. And I think now that I'm doing a more senior job in recruitment and now mm. I've done one more CVs, I have to kind of then, and it's wonderful, I even drop the pants to certain clients that I want to work with um, to appease them. I'm now taking the mindset now of, well, I want to help people, yeah, not a detriment to my mental health, to my wallet, and to my sure. sanity. So now I think I'm, like yourself, turning the dial more now to kind of be like, having clients say you done my friendship for £30 last year I was like yes last year in yeah. the pandemic when they worked in retail you're a financial controller on 80k a year £30 you know I can't do it and I've lost clients yeah. that way I've remained and kept my integrity I think it's what I think it's what I think Lionel Messi said it or someone else said it it took him 
22 years to become an overnight, you know, an overnight legend. You know, so you, uh, I, I, I got to a point now where I, I chart, I put my prices up, and my clients are paying paying it, and actually they're getting value for money. It's a it's a confidence thing, it's a self esteem thing. I think it's a journey as well. I don't think you can just wake up one day and go right. I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. I think it's I think it's a process, and I think it's about enjoying that process. And on that point, um, talk about per- process, but also journey, but also purpose. So. What are you actually doing now? Because you know you're still doing the CV upgrade, but you've got this other role. What's your, what are you doing now? What's your plan? All that kind of stuff. So I now work for Klarna. So I guess people, you can't turn a corner about seeing <laughs> Klarna on, you know, which is awesome. I, I love their branding. I'm very lucky that I had them in my top 10 of companies to work for. Anyone watching this, you haven't got your top 10 firms to work for, you need to get one. It yeah. just helps align your vision. Um, but I now work in basically like global TA management, so I look at more. I've taken a step back from the hiring process now, and I think that's good for me because I think because I haven't looked at CVs for a, a side hustle and CVs for a day job, it was just too much. So now I focus more on process, procedure, performance, recruitment, and I'll be honest with you, like I, I absolutely love it. I love where I work. The autonomy that I'm given to go out and do my job, looking at this and that, yeah, don't go and do it. Like, yeah, for the first time in a long, long time in my career, like the cuffs are off. I can go and right. run, run my ship how I want to, or and it's that trust and you come on board. And it's almost like, right, you're here because we trust you, not because of mm. here or to earn our trust. Mm. That's what I find different different companies. Is some, it's like we're going to hire you, but you still got to earn that trust. Whereas here, it's like. Right. We hire because we trust you, and that's an eye opener, but also great. So I now work on that, and it's you know, Klarna's scaling up massively right now. We just obviously gone into Poland, so just without trying to like a sort of a, a Bond villain world domination, obviously, <laughs> is, the, uh, is the goal there, but yeah, yeah, I think that definitely is in the last three weeks of being there. Again, when you finally get something that's like um, a utopian environment, yeah. you then sit back and analyse everything you went through. More than company, you think, I let them treat me like shit there for six months. I should have been out in six weeks. But of course, you don't take that as a sort of as a, a knock. You think, right, it's a good yeah. power, isn't it? So I think anyone that's wants, wants free career advice is just take what you love in your current job, bring it with you, and leave all the shit that you hate behind. And you'll get to a point where it's you're 18, 28, or 58, and you'll find a job that suits what you want to do. It's a really interesting point, actually. You talk about toxic environments versus good environments. I've got a post out, a poll, actually, the dreaded LinkedIn polls, which I think obviously they work, they work really well. It was about a week ago. It's had like 300 and something thousand views, like 10,000 votes. I think it was mad, but all it was was like, would you would you work for a toxic employer for good money or, or, or would you not, all that kind of stuff. And I feel that it's a massive response to it. And... The problem is that people feel a bit like a marriage isn't going well, but people people feel that um, they're wedded to their employer, and you know it's difficult because I haven't got the money, I can't leave, and, like and, I, and I get that you've got to pay the bills. But actually, I feel if you really, really wanted to to leave, I, I think you know hindsight's a wonderful thing. Sometimes you've got to just say, you know, what is best for my mental health and well-being? Is is it having that money in the bank, or is it actually getting the fuck out of there and doing something else. And it's, it's not as easy as or straightforward as that, but I think what you're demonstrating is that um, 
it sounds like if you had your time again, you might try to extrapolate yourself a bit sooner, but it's not as easy as that, is it, I guess? No, there's no, there's no sort of end point to where you want to be. I'm 34 now. I work for an employer that I actually generally love. Like, people pick jobs where they just go for salary. They know that that's their driver. Is mm-hmm. like, That's probably what I desire. Couldn't really care what the company do. We're in reason. Obviously, I'm a vegan. Not looking at an, an abattoir. Granted, uh, people get the companies where yeah. they, can, they can just kind of make peace of what the company do. I generally love the brand and what they do. I'm a client customer as well. So mm-hmm. I then can promote the products and services to my own people because I myself am a buyer of it. But I think, yeah, it's toxic environment. I, think I commented on that post and joked and said that, you know, you can pay me 100k a year and I'll go home with my Lamborghini and my, my pool yeah. with, with my gin bar. And obviously that was tongue in cheek. Yeah. Um, I call it the shit to salary scale. So how much shit you're going to put up with to how much they're going to pay you. And it comes obviously that sort of where it has to meet and you can't have, yeah. you know, like all of this shit and this bit of salary. It can't, you know, so no, 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 no. I don't want to kind of work it out very little sort of, you know, and again, like you said earlier, algebra, school didn't help me. So of course, <laughs> just working obviously on fractions might help with regards to the whole salary to shit ratio. But I totally agree that mm. you work a third of your life or technically it's, one fifth of your waking life, you're at work. Yeah. One fifth. I, I, I do feel that there's still a long way to go, but I do feel the dichotomy or, 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 or the the structure of the employee employers is changing where up until recently, you know, it, it, was, it would be acceptable almost for an employer to ask the employee to jump how high and the, the employee's got to beg himself or herself to work here and demonstrate to me that he's, he's worthy of, he's, he's got to run for a bit more, she's got to jump, you know, was now I actually think it's almost the other way around. The employee, the onus is on the employer to make the environment as as, 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 as as good as possible, and I think that's the way it should be. You know, hundred percent. And you look at now. Last year, there was the market was flooded for candidates, wasn't it? Mm. There's a thousand CVs per job. I think my highest was 122 CVs for one job. Now the market is flipped. Stats show that there's now more live jobs. Yes, with COVID, higher salaries. So right now, people are staying put because they've been rewarded. So companies have to get their house in order. Like, yeah. Like, I, I called up a company the other day that literally had an advert and told, they told the MD, I was like, I said, your salary one is formatted all wrong. It's just bullet points. Yeah. I said, well, all well, you just said what you want. I was like, here are your demands. It's a whole situation. Totally. What's in it from the candidate? Yeah. And it's just, yeah. you'll have, you'll do, we'll do. And it's always yeah. like, Uncle South America, we want you. But it's like, we want you, we want all of this, but what's in it for you? And it's a case of now, exactly. as, and this is what I work on as well with where I work now, and of course, which other employees need to work on is right now, the, the environment, like the best people aren't going to move unless you're going to offer them, yes, more money or a better environment. Yeah. And that includes men's health, that includes well being, that includes benefits. No one gives a toss about your pool table, no one cares about the no. coffee machine. On your, on your bean bags. Yeah. People care about real stuff about if I'm having a bad day, how are you going to treat me? You know, I worked in a company years ago which hated the company, but they had a really great, it's, a, it's called a duvet day. You know, yeah. One day a year where if yeah, you're yeah. having a really tough day, you can just kind of like put out the white flag and just say, I'm not talking yeah. about today, we're a duvet day. I love that. It's not doing yeah. enough. But yeah. I totally agree. People need to kind of get their house in order. And it's, it always seems like the brand will attract them. Well, if your brand's wrong to the core, doesn't matter what name's on the door. No. If you can't attract people with the, the, how you look after uh, them, someone else will. And I think the only way, the best way for a leader 
was for a leadership team to do that is to be curious and stop believing their own hype and stop thinking because I think leaders in businesses they get quite insular they, they, they in their world they feel they feel they feel they're unique they feel they've got a great culture but actually they don't speak to anyone else they, they, don't, they don't even look at their competitors that much you know, that kind of stuff. they don't collaborate and I think that's what it's all about it's about actually God they're doing well and why are they doing well and being curious isn't it all that kind of stuff I think we could talk for hours on end um before we kind of close, um, I want to thank you so much for all of that. Really interesting, really interesting conversation. What advice would you give to, firstly, anyone going through trauma, adversity, mental health? And secondly, any kind of career type advice? You touched on that as well. So those type, those type of things. Sure. I guess trauma and mental health. I'm probably the best person for that because obviously I compartmentalise mine. But, but equally as well, I have my call safe space. Before my dog passed away, I had a place that I would go. Me and the dog, nothing mattered. I literally just would sit there, watch my dog play in the water, and we'd almost just like turn off the light switch, and just that would just be like a ton of vision. Find your safe spot, find your happy place. Yeah. And it sounds really easy, but find that. If you don't take enough time to revisit that, then all you do is get consumed in what's affecting you. Um, also take time off yourself i'm again a prime example where i've worked and worked and worked and worked all through lockdown probably more than post pre-lockdown yeah i'm at point now i i need i'm going to go to new york for five days in october that was going to happen yeah but so i'm looking at ways to kind of just take myself away from the environment at work that's two days to do that career wise life's too fucking short man like it is like I had a friend who passed away a few months back from a car accident who was younger than me. Sorry to hear that, mate. Yeah, 33. Um, but he loved his job. He loved his life. But people out there wake up every day and go to the same monotonous bullshit job that you literally don't like. Market mm. wise, fine for candidates. If your job is crap right now, if you're not being valued, you're not being loved, not being paid, do something about it. Yes, a little plug there, you can give me a call and I'll help you. It'll cost you, but it'll work. Or just talk to friends and family, colleagues, but you'll have so much more. I, I, lo- I absolutely love that. I absolutely love that. And yeah, we, we kind of do have a choice in the end. Mate, that was that was phenomenal. Really appreciate having you on. I think we'll have to do a follow-up. Um, but I'm delighted you've you've got a new role, you're still doing your thing, you're really good on, on uh, you're looking well, you're great on LinkedIn. So I just want to say thank you so much. Before we go, where's the best place for someone to find you? I think LinkedIn's probably number one, but you're on all sorts of different channels, aren't you? Yeah, so LinkedIn's probably best. Um, I've got Instagram, that's a mixture of career and dog posts and toddler posts. <laughs> Just yep. Dom underscore Joyce underscore career underscore coach. And yeah, or just YouTube channels or it's um, cvupgrade.com is the website for career advice. Yeah, yeah a lot of money on the website. So um, yeah, people can visit it and let me know what they think. That'd be awesome. But yeah, LinkedIn's probably the best place. Slide into my DMs and just, uh, yeah, just compliments from me get you far. Flattery. <laughs> me. So yeah, um, yep. that's it, man. But no, have me on, Chris. Always grateful and love your work, man. And been yeah, humbled to be on here with you, The Perfect Day Leadership Podcast is sponsored by Vincherry. Vincherry are all-in-one CRM and ATS platform, purpose-built for recruitment and staffing agencies. I chose to partner with Vincherry because, honestly, I'm a customer. They keep me competitive, plug into my calendar and email, and make the whole admin part of my job as a recruiter a hell of a lot easier. The Perfect Day Leadership Podcast listeners get 25% off Vincherry's onboarding. 
you're looking for equipment to go around to accelerate your growth, check them out at pincherry.io forward slash Chris O'Connell.